Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 1030 a.m. in the Boise Friends Church Gymnasium, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption. Well, I am Cindy Shively, and I'm one of the elders here at Redemption Hill. And I am just grateful to be a part of this family of God here, and I'm just so grateful that you're all here. Uh, In the past, I was a a pastor. I've retired and also retired as a marriage and family therapist. But the summer series, if you've been here at all this summer, we've been doing a series called Liturgy, which simply is just essentially how we actually live our everyday lives as followers of Jesus. You know, how we kind of arrange our schedules, our develop habits and practices that help us follow Jesus and really become more like him. You know, that, that's, that's our desire. And we've had some great sermons this, this summer. If you've missed them, I know it's hard to make that time to find them on podcast and listen, but they're, they're well worth listening. Uh, Robert started off with uh, talking about just how do we arrange our lives around God's priorities, a thing called rule of life. Uh, talked about the importance of community and our microchurches and how, what's the purpose of those, how they help us to grow and learn. Uh, and then he talked about unity, how the, the importance of all of us with all followers of Jesus all over the world throughout time are really one body, one family of God and how we need to love and honor, and we have shared beliefs. He talked about the Apostles' Creed that we believe together. Then we heard from Kyle, and he talked about missional prayer and just the the power that we get to unleash of God when we pray and and how we do that. Then Laura talked about contemplation. You know, the, the vital practice, one that's hard for most of us, of silence and solitude of really taking time to just be with God. Uh, that For most of us in this productive world that we live in, it's hard for us to do that. We just feel like, oh, that's a waste of time. Then Bob talked about humility. And humility is really the idea of just being honest about ourselves. It's, it's not putting ourselves down, but it's, it's really just knowing who we are. We're a beloved child of God, and we don't have to compare or try to prove ourselves or defend ourselves. We can just relax in God's love. Matt looked uh, at loving well and the importance of those committed relationships we have with other believers that need to share our, our burdens and our needs. I liked his phrase, don't hoard your needs. <laughs> you, you know, he said, let other people care for you. Because we tend to do that. We, we tend to think, oh, I can do this myself. And then also being willing to sacrifice for others. And then last week, we got to hear, hear from Jesse, and she talked about how God is inviting each of us into our hero story. Uh, the idea that we have whatever our passion might be, uh, God wants us to pursue that. And it, it may be like Jesus, that it involves some suffering and sacrifice, but that 
suffering is part of what shapes us, and kind of what uh, Malia was talking about in her opening prayer of just that when we let ourselves feel the things, even when they're hurtful, God can meet us there and grow us there. And then Jesse also talked about the importance of seeking God's healing truth to overcome the lies that Satan wants to plant in us to keep us stuck, to keep us really from becoming who God wants us to be. And anybody here last week remember those three lies? What are they? God's not enough. That's the first one. What's the second one? I'm not enough. And what's the last one? I'm not doing enough. Yeah, yeah. So think about those, how often those thoughts may come to mind. That's Satan. That is not God. And God wants to change those lies and, and replace them with truth. Well, today we get to look at how following Jesus involves being empowered to hear and fulfill the calling of Jesus on your life. And so the core value that we're going to look at, and it will be up on the screen, is called empowerment. And these are the core values that our, our church has adopted. So let me read this for you. Is it up there? There we go. All right. We affirm the priesthood of all believers. We affirm that each person who has given their life in surrender to Jesus and his cause has a unique calling from Jesus to fulfill in the church and its mission. We believe that this is only possible by the Spirit of God living in and working through each and every believer. It's the Spirit of God that draws us into communion with the Godhead, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, quickens us with spiritual life as the fruit of his indwelling presence, and leads us to walk in the will of the Father, accomplishing the works prepared for us before God made the world. Therefore, we work towards empowering each and every believer to hear and fulfill the calling of Jesus on their life. This value of empowerment is expressed in all spiritual gifts and callings for all people, regardless of race, gender, or age, for the sake of Jesus' mission and for the equipping of all believers toward their maturity. That's a lot. It's okay if you didn't get it all. It, it takes a few readings to, to let that sink in. Now, if you happen to be here in the spring, there was a series on what does it mean to be the priesthood of believers, and it just simply means that all followers of Jesus are priests, and a priest is somebody who's a mediator. They kind of go between people and God, and in this case, we, we try to make it possible for, for people to come to God, to know God, to know his loving presence. 1 Peter 2.9 describes this. It says, For you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So our lives as priests, it says right there, are to show others the goodness of God. Well, choosing to follow Jesus means that we get to become part of his family. John 1.12 says, But to all who believed in him, that is in Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And Ephesians 1.5 says, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. So when the moment we believe, we become a child of God and we get adopted into his forever spiritual family. 
made up of all followers of Jesus from all around the world, all throughout time. Well, being part of God's family, first of all, means taking on the family likeness. You know how you hang out, you get married and you hang out and you become like each other? Well, when we become a follower of Jesus and we get to be part of that family, we want to become like Jesus. And we do that by hanging out with him. And really that just means we want to develop his character. You know, more than anything we actually do for the Lord, God's desire is that we become like Jesus. Uh, Dallas Willard, we, li- we like how, you know, Norm and I are great Dallas fans, but we love his, his definition of spiritual formation. He says, spiritual formation is the process through which those who love and trust Jesus Christ effectively take on his character. And that's really God's desire, is for us to become like Jesus. Romans 8.29 says it this way in the message, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of, of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. I mean, simply we're designed to be like Jesus. Well, what's Jesus like? I mean, we, we think we know. Think about it. When you think of Jesus, what do you think of him? He described himself in Matthew 11 as, as humble in heart and gentle. You know, those aren't the things we naturally think of as a great leader, but humble and gentle. I mean, we think of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians. You know, the, 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 those characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We might think of 1 Corinthians 13, that love passage, you know, that often gets used at weddings, but really is, talks more about who God is, you know, his, his love and patience and his bearing with us and his, he doesn't envy or boast, you know, he rejoices with the true, truth, he hopes all things, believes all things, perseveres, you know, that love never fails. So that's all kind of that family likeness that God wants us to take on, so being part of his family, we take on the family likeness, but the second thing we get to do is we're called to share in the family business, you might say, or the ministry and mission of the church. Now, kind of as Robert was saying, the church is not this organization or this, oh, we gonna, I'm going to go to church today, and I wonder what I'm going to get out of the sermon or out of worship or but, but the, the reality is the church is simply the people of God. We are the church. And so we gather together and we get to share in, you know, whatever that God's doing in and through our church. You know, we get to participate in that. It's being family together. So what, what is the, the family business? Well, near the beginning of his ministry in Mark 3, Jesus it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside. And he called those to, that he wanted, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Okay, so notice from that scripture, what was their first purpose? What did he, What? Okay, they, he, and what, what was the purpose for the, when he called them to, to do something? What was the first thing he called them to do? To be with him, exactly, way to go. 
You know, it's, it's easy to skip over that and jump right into to ministry. Uh, Matthew 10, when he sends out the 12, Jesus says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Uh, this morning, I don't know if any of you use that Lectio 365, uh, but it's a, a little devotional thing, and, and it described how, who we are as the church and his mission, and it was so well, good I wanted to read it. It says, we are broken and imperfect, yet we are the largest, most diverse community on earth, an ancient, global, revolutionary movement conspiring to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and to comfort all who mourn, fulfilling the mission and the mandate of our master, Jesus Christ. And what was, what's the message that, that we're supposed to bring? The, the kingdom is near. What, what does that mean, the kingdom is near? It just means a life that's empowered by God, you know, if we're filled with the Spirit, filled with love and joy and peace, that kind of with God life is now available to anyone who wants it, to everyone. Well, part of our problem is we tend to skip over that being with Jesus, which is our first and primary mission, and jump right into doing works. Uh, and it, maybe it's those lies that we talk about, I'm not enough or I'm not doing enough, that makes us want to tend to do that. And so we somehow <laughs> believe the lie that if I just try harder, then maybe God will love me or value me or other people will love and value me. But that's not, that's not what God's design is. I mean, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Then he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, James Bryan Smith, in his newest book called The Good and Beautiful You, says this. He says, God formed you. God knit you together. God saw your frame long before any sonogram technician did. God's eyes beheld you and looked at you with eyes of love. God has created us with marvelous capacities to think and feel and create and love and be loved. And God is an artist. He has yet to create anything less than a masterpiece. And that's what Paul's describing, really, in Ephesians 2.10. You know, you are God's handiwork or masterpiece, or, and he's, you're created to, to, to do these good things. That's what's going to bring great joy and satisfaction. Dallas Willard often said, you are a divinely designed, unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny, 
in God's great universe. I mean, you and I and every person in this world are sacred creations of God. You know, it, we, it's hard for us to remember that when we're annoyed with somebody or somebody, we don't think very highly of someone or we don't like their views or whatever it is, but they are still, just like you and me, our sacred original creations. Another thing James Brian Smith describes in his book is, is this event that just happened in the last few decades. Some homeowners in Sweden discovered a painting in their attic. It had been left by the previous homeowner who had assumed that it wasn't as valuable as he thought. And, but these new homeowners suspected that it might be an original painting of Vincent van Gogh. And they brought it to Amsterdam Van, van Gogh's, Amsterdam's Van Gogh Museum in 1991. And the curators there said, uh, we think it's inauthentic. It doesn't have that, uh, the trademark signatures that Van Gogh puts on all his paintings. But then a few years later, art historians used new technologies to re-examine the painting and discover that it had the exact same brush strokes as all of Van Gogh's other paintings. It used some of the same creamy paint. And there was a, a letter in 1888 from Vincent to his brother Theo describing this painting in detail, including the date that he painted it. So guess what? It's now on display in the museum. What makes this painting so valuable? It's because it's an original Van Gogh painting. You know, if they hadn't authenticated it, it probably wouldn't be so valuable. Well, you and I, each one of us here, are original artworks of God. You were design divinely designed and created by this masterful artist. Each of us carries within us our own originality. There is no one else in this world just like you. I mean, it's a, unfathomable to really even to comprehend that. We think, oh, surely there must be someone just like me. But there's not. You are unique. And as your lives unfold, you begin to see more and more how uniquely each one of you has been designed and created. You know, God's love has brought you into being as a unique, original masterpiece. This is your true spiritual identity. You are a gift from God to the world. And that's not this narcissistic thing, oh, I'm this whatever. But you truly are a gift. You, there's things you can do that, that no one else can do. God's created you with certain aptitudes and talents, and you were born in a specific time and place and family, and not only has God prepared good things for each of us to do, but he wants to do it with us. You know, he wants to partner with us, and it makes it even better. Ephesians 3.20 reminds us, that it says, God, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. You know, so the, as Norm was talking about, those good things that God has for us to do are not this drudgery or this heavy burden that he's placing on us, but there's a natural outflow of our identity as beloved children of God, you know, the ones in whom God delights and dwells. So doing these good things God has prepared for us actually is what brings us that, that joy and satisfaction. We see God's hand at work in our lives, in us and through us. And it really begins just with our ordinary, everyday lives. You know, how we love the person right in front of us. 
you know, whether that's a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, uh, anybody. You know, I, we had one friend who would just say, you know, God is just asking me to, to love the person in front of me for the next 10 minutes. I can do it for 10 minutes, you know, and then the next 10 minutes, but only 10 minutes at a time. You know, doing good works also involves serving in our church family. You know, we want to do our part. That's what family members do. You know, an important role, as we talked about in that empowerment thing, of our church family is really to equip and empower each and every believer to hear and fulfill the calling that God has put on our lives. And one of the ways God helps us with that is he gives us spiritual gifts for the common good. And there's, there's a, there's, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail on spiritual gifts. If, if you already know your spiritual gift, great. If you go, what's a spiritual gift? And you really want to know a ton more, you can talk to me or you can Google spiritual gifts inventory. But anyway, just to, to start with, though, I, wanted, I do want to read 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, describes a few of these so you get some idea of what some of these gifts might be. A spiritual gift is given to each of us, so everybody has something, so we can help each other. That's the purpose, is to really help each other, to the, help our body, of, help our, the family of God. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, one, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. Someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, sometimes they call that tongues, while another is given the ability to interpret what's being said. And it's the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. I mean, we don't really get to choose. And, you know, sometimes we have gift envy, or, or sometimes we think everyone should have my gift and do everything that I want to do. Uh, but these, this is just a little sampling of gifts. If you, want, if you want to read more in Scripture, you can see also Romans 12 or Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. But you can also just Google spiritual gifts inventory and take a little test. But the, one of the best ways is just to ask people, what do you think my gifts are? Or to try different things and see, see what comes easily and, and what seems to be effective. So spiritual gifts are good, but they're really only one aspect of trying to discover the good things that God has for us to do. The other things that are helpful are things like our interests, our passion, like Jesse was talking about last week, um, our dreams, you know, what we really care about or wish we could change. Sometimes it's what really bugs you in a, a church family. You know, if there's an issue that really bugs you, maybe that's something that God is stirring up in you to do something about. Um, then there's the natural talents and abilities, just things you're born with or have cultivated through the years. They can be athletics or music or intellect or relational skills, communication skills, all kinds of things like that. And then there's our personality. We, some of us tend to be introverted, some extroverted, some thinkers, some feelers. And if you'd like the Enneagram, you can, you've got your nine different choices about uh, how, what motivates you and, and those kinds of things, which are all designed to help us understand ourselves better, you know, figure out more of who God has created us to be. And then there's all of our life experiences. I mean, the family that you grew up in has had a huge impact on you, uh, for good and for not so good sometimes. 
uh, your schooling experiences, your work experiences, your spiritual experiences, your ministry experiences, even some of your very painful experiences, or maybe your griefs or your losses or the challenges you've had, all of these things shape us. Nothing is wasted in God's kingdom. Nothing is wasted in God's kingdom. And perhaps the most important thing about all of this is if there's something that God wants us to do, that he's created us to do, or however you want to say that, and he puts that little nudge in you or stirs up something within you, he's going to give you what you need to do it, including other people to do it with, the tools or gifts or all those things. I mean, sometimes there's people just have a gift for a certain season to do a certain thing. Well, what was my story? You know, I, I first started thinking about ministry when I was in high school, and part of that was because we got a new youth director, and he invited me to help volunteer with the junior high ministry, and it began to stir a passion in me of, wow, can you imagine spending your life being able to help people come to know the Lord and grow in their faith? And, and, and that, so that just seemed intriguing, and I was kind of pursuing that direction. I, I didn't want to do it immediately after college because I felt like, most people, especially in churches, are working, doing their job, and they're doing their they're volunteering in ministry. And so that's, that's what I wanted to be able to do for, for a while. So I did that for a while, worked for the phone company, volunteered with Young Life. I, I loved student ministry. I loved working with students. But I also felt kind of drawn to adults. And, and it, it was interesting that you know, some friends or coworkers or other leaders would sort of come and talk to me in this. I found out myself hearing about their struggles or things, but, but feeling like, man, I, I really wish I had some tools here to actually be able to help them. Other than, I felt like I was just putting a little Band-Aid on this big wound at times, you know. Um, so that, that kind of continued to stir inside me. And then I, I still was thinking about going to seminary, but I thought I, I really should do like a year of an internship, full-time ministry somewhere to make sure... That, that's what I'd really like to do. So I, I did that for a year, and that, in a sense, it would really affirmed my, my, my gifts and calling, but I was still kind of hesitant. And, and I, you know, what it really boiled down to was I was single, you know, in my mid-20s, and I, and I really wanted to be married someday, and I thought, well, who would want to marry a woman minister? I mean, that just seems a little odd. So... Uh, but thankfully, because of we need community, we need each other, not only do they affirm us, I had a good friend who just poked holes in all of my excuses of why not to go to seminary and not to be in ministry, and so I ended up doing it. And, uh, but, but that is, we, we need community to do that for us, you know, to affirm things, to help us recognize things, to prod us a little bit sometimes and help us see the silliness of our excuses at other times. Well, then going to seminary, it, I was going to pursue a Master of, of Divinity, which is what we needed to do to prepare to be a pastor. But it just so happened that at that time, they also were offering this kind of a, a sidebar that you could get all your credits to do marriage and family therapy as, as sort of your, with all your electives. And so I ended up with kind of this one degree, but could do both things. And then also in seminary, met and married my first husband, Greg, and we'd kind of decided that we would share a position half time each, which freed me to do the counseling. And I, I love doing both the ministry and the counseling, but there's something kind of interesting happened in the counseling. As much as I liked it, I felt like 
something seems kind of missing here. You know, we, we have the power of God at work in our lives. Why doesn't that happen more in counseling? You know, because it just feels like it's people talking and, okay, now I just have more junk I know I'm supposed to do and I'm still not doing it. But at that time, somebody brought me some uh, information about a, a new ministry called Theophostic Prayer Ministry. Later it became Transformation Prayer Ministry. But it was really just a way of helping people identify those beliefs that keep them stuck and then inviting Jesus or God to, to bring healing because he is the truth in those places in a real transformative way. And, and so uh, gradually with some training and lots of practice, I began using that. And, and I felt like really that was, for me, one of those places where this is part of what you've been created to do. This is one of those, those good works, those good things, because it brought such joy and just kind of this satisfaction, this, this honor of being able to walk with people in, in these places. And even after retiring, I, I still love doing it. And uh, it's just been a, a, a great opportunity for me. Well, just a few takeaways from today. And you don't have to remember it all. Just you know, ask the Lord, what's one thing you want me to take away today? One is the good things we do are never a way to earn God's favor. You know, they're simply ways we discover uh, part of the joy and purpose for which we've been created. Second, there are also seasons in our lives where we have, we're more available or not more available than others. I mean, if you're a mother of a young child, if you've got an illness, if you're taking care of somebody with an illness, or just other situations in life where you're overloaded already, God's probably not asking you to do more. He doesn't want us to burn out. You know, he wants, in fact, he might be, when we spend time with him, uh, which is that third thing, pray and listen, he might be telling us some things we don't need to be doing, uh, to slow down, to simplify. Uh, but, but then he also will stir, you know, what am I passionate about? You know, and is there someone I can join who's already doing it that I can learn from? Number four is just explore, experiment, try new things. I mean, you can't really fail. If, if you're experimenting, you're just going to learn something. You're not going to be a failure. You're just going to learn something and try something else. Fifth thing would be to mentor others. If you're a person that you feel like, man, I have already feel like I've discovered what God wants me to be doing and I'm doing it, ask the Lord who you might bring along to help you in the ministry that you're a part of. You know, even pray for a specific person to invite. You know, and sometimes that's hard because sometimes it takes more effort to mentor somebody else than to just do it myself. Or sometimes our pride says, well, I can, you know, nobody can do this as well as me, so I'm just going to keep doing it. But the reality is that's the way Jesus was. You know, he mentored people. I mean, think of how his time with the disciples. They hung out with him, they observed him, they ministered together with him, and then they went out on their own, and then they trained others. They, they, that's that's kind of what we're doing. That's what we keep doing. And, and, and that's, what we're, that's our hope. Six is start small. You know, maybe you just want to observe a ministry first to see if that stirs something in you. You know, the world says we got to do something big and impressive and grow and all this. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus in the, brought a little child to the disciples. And he said, you know, the one who welcomes this little child welcomes me. It was just that one little child. And then the seventh thing is to try something that you're not sure you can do on your own. You know, if you know you can do this all on your own, this is going to be, it could be a good thing. 
but it, it, it might keep you from experiencing God being able to do even more than you could imagine and really empowering you with his spirit. For me, it was that transformation prayer piece that, because it really involved Jesus somehow bringing truth. So he, if he didn't show up, I was like, oh, sorry. Uh, so, but it was, so it was really, but that was a, a great thing for my faith too, because I, I really had to rely on Jesus and, and what he was doing. Eight is to leave the outcomes of your serving up to God. You know, that, that's a tough one for us because we are so, we're so driven to perform and succeed, but, you know, God doesn't, he just wants us to be faithful, not, you know, not to be necessarily successful. So we offer what we're doing, and, and we, we know it doesn't mean we can't learn and grow and improve, but whatever the outcome is, we've got to trust that God's spirit is at work in people's lives, and he, he knows he's going to take what you offer and use, plant that seed and use it for good. Nine is the good things we do are our way of life. You know, as we go, we get to be Jesus. You know, it's not just, oh, check the box, I did my good deed for the day, and now I can go be selfish. Uh, you know, we, we want to be noticing and, and figure out what is going on around us and how, how might God want us to be involved in that. Ten is to rely on your community. You know, whether you're microchurch or however, the, the people in your life, both to help you discover what might God be wanting you to be doing, but also to get to do things together. You know, it's really, God wants us to serve together. And then perhaps the most important thing is to nurture your soul by spending time with Jesus, to not skip over that first calling of being with Jesus uh, and jumping into the, the good works, as it might be, but to really make sure we're spending time with him. You know, discovering and living into the good things that God has created for you to do, you uniquely, is what's going to really bring joy and satisfaction and meaning and purpose in your life, even though it might be difficult or challenging at times. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.